Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real-time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. What's the buzz on the street today? I found a quote from Walt Disney, Walter Elias. Walt Disney, an American entrepreneur, animator, voice actor, and film producer. You know him from Disney World, Disneyland. You know him from Disney Enterprises. He earned two Golden Globe Special Achievement Awards and Emmy. And as a film producer, he holds the record for the most Academy Awards earned by any individual with 22 Oscars from 59 nominations. Oh my. Here's the quote. Listen up. You can dream, create, design, and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it requires people to make the dream a reality. Now, my interpretation of that is people on your team to make the dream a reality. Okay, so now what are we talking about here? Hiring the right people is important for any business, but especially if you're a startup. Oh, my. You've heard the phrase, hit the ground running? Uh-huh, you have to. But money is tight. You don't have a lot of credibility in the marketplace yet. Maybe you're doing proof of concept. Maybe you haven't really announced or launched a product yet. You're trying to build out your team. So you don't have resources. Nobody really knows who you are. or They're not sure you can deliver on your dream and your promise. That can make it tough to attract the best and the brightest and maybe more important to keep them on board. So what's the bottom line here? Hiring the wrong people can set your business back months or years or maybe forever. That means you wouldn't even get to launch if you hire the wrong people. This sounds like a very complicated process. We're going to talk about it today. Do you have an HR department, an HR team, a head of HR, a CHRO? Maybe you need them and we're going to help you with our three experts today figure out how to avoid the missteps that can crash and burn your dream before it gets off the ground. Our topic today, Critical HR for Startups, Top Talent on a Shoestring Budget. I have three experts. Let me tell you who they are before we hear from them. First up, we'll be speaking with Ted West, Executive Chair of Bow Labs, that's B-O-H-H. Joining him on the panel is Patrick Giusti, and we'll spell that in a little while. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Point Inside, and we had somebody, one of his teammates, one of his colleagues at Point Inside on the show a few weeks ago. We'll talk about that and rounding out the panel, of course, why could we do a show? How could we do a show without Dave Katona? He's go-to-market for the Americas at SAP Startup Focus, part of the Startup Focus team. So let's circle around the table to Mr. Ted West at Bow Labs, again, B-O-H-H. And Ted has picked a very interesting quote from Warren Buffett. Anybody hiding under a really big rock doesn't know Warren Buffett, born August 30th, 1930. That you might not know. He's an American business magnet and, in, and a magnet in both spellings of the word, an investor and philanthropist, considered one of the most successful investors in the world. As of right now, March 2017, Warren Buffett is the wealthiest person in the U.S., second wealthiest, excuse me, with a, to- sorry, Bill Gates, with a total net worth of $78.7 billion with a B. You may know him from the Buffett Partnership. You may know him from Berkshire Hathaway. He's been called the Wizard, the Oracle, the Sage of Omaha, all kinds of names. He is a very smart guy. Here is the quote from Warren Buffett. 
pick out associates whose behavior is better than yours, and you'll drift in that direction. Ted West, how are you? Welcome to Game Changers, and I love the quote. How are you, Ted? Doing great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you. Yeah, I've always admired Buffett's uh, homespun business wisdom, the sage from Omaha, as you said. And I think I think Buffett, in this quote, I think he's he is as relevant speaking to founder leaders of lean startups as he is to the CEOs of the huge corporations in which he's invested. And he speaks to my experience over 20 years and 15 startup ventures launched and built, grown, exited. Uh, experience that I've had doing things to, you know, I've had doing things to attract and build talented teams both the right way, but I have to say, frankly, sometimes the hard way. And I think what Buffett's saying to founder leaders of startups is, is three things here. Mm-hmm. First, as the leader of a startup, you know, work hard to hire teams of people, each of whom is somehow better, smarter, more insightful, more experienced, more technical, more creative, literally each and every one hired into teams with talents that are, that are better than yours as the founder leader. Second, and, and really the same point, but taken at a, at a different and more personal angle, as a founder leader, don't expect yourself to be all of those better things by yourself. You never can be. And even mm-hmm. if you tried to be, you'd likely set yourself up for a bad bout of startup burnout or chronic self-disappointment or occasional loneliness and, God forbid, perhaps even imminent failure. Trust me, check that ego and get the best talent around you and expect the world from them. The third, the third thing I read in, in, in Buffett's quote is see yourself as the founder leader, as an orchestrator of the great talent mm-hmm. on the team. Set goals, set the tone, set the pace, stick with a written score, or improvise where you can accelerate that way. But in any case, bring out the full potential of the talent and let them play things out for you. And when you do, I'll go well beyond Buffett's opening thoughts here. I think you could do far more than drift in that virtuous direction, I think you'll actually seize your startup's potential. How eloquent, Mr. Ted West. I appreciate that. While you were speaking, I was thinking of a famous poem by John Donne, D-O-N-N-E. You may know the title, No Man is an Island. No Woman is an Island. Can we apply that to our topic today, Ted? What do you think? A- absolutely apply that to our topic. I think, you know, I think the founders who are open and transparent who are communicating constantly with their team who create cultures of communication and openness. Uh, no one is an island. No one can be an island successfully. I think what we're doing in startups is building successful communities. Thank you very much. Very well put. I like that word, communities. Let's hang on to that for later in our discussion. Welcome again, Ted West. And now let's talk to Patrick Juisty. And I promise I would spell his last name in case you're confounded. You won't find it under J-U-I-C-E-T-E-E. It's G-I-U-S-T-I. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Point Inside. And Patrick has selected a very interesting quote also, this time from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson, we have some young ones being quoted today. I think of Warren Buffett. But born in 1930 is still young. Excuse me. Now you know my age group. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was born in 1958. He's an American astrophysicist, cosmologist, author, and science communicator. Uh, he wrote, let's see, he wrote monthly essays in the Universe column for Natural History Magazine. Some were published in his book, Death by Black Hole, 2007. He's written books called Merlin's Tour of the Universe back in 1998 and Just Visiting This Planet also in the same year. If you're 
you're not familiar with him as an author, you may remember him as the show host of the show Nova Science Now on PBS. He also hosted a podcast called Star Talk, a spinoff called Star something else, a spinoff. I'm seeing the same name here on National Geographic TV in 2015 and a series called Cosmos, a space-time odyssey. Here is the quote Patrick has selected from Mr. probably Dr. Tyson, I'm guessing. Rational thoughts never drive people's creativity the way Asians do. Patrick Juicy, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today, Patrick? Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. We are delighted. We have to do a shout-out, of course, to Christina Sosa on the Startup Focus team at SAP for putting together this topic and panel with Dave Katona. So, Patrick, are you a big follower or fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah, I am. I like. I definitely like his... Um, you know, the way that he approaches science and culture in a pragmatic way. And this, this quote um, in particular is interesting to me because coming from a scientist, you know, who was very empirical, very data-driven, yet what he's saying here, I think, is that, you know, really emotion is what drives people, what drives productivity, what drives creativity, and really what drives culture. And I agree with this quote because... You know, in my experience, when you're when you're building a team, um, you know, you you try your best to to you know use data to to make the best hires to figure out exactly what the direction would, should be. But at the end of the day, it's it's how people feel about what they're doing. It's you know the positive energy. It's the the community that really drives you know how they feel and what the, how creative they are and how how productive they are. So that's kind of my take on that quote. Thank you, Patrick. Interesting. When we talk about emotions and creativity, first of all, I was surprised to see that in a quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson because I think of him mostly as a scientist. However, are we also talking about the word passion, the passion of a startup? I used to call it the gleam in someone's eye or that gleam in their heart, the fire in the belly. Uh, some, some older listeners may know that, where the passion is so strong that they are driven to start that startup, and they need the best team around them. So would you say passion could be substituted for emotions here? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you know, when you're, when you're starting up and have a relatively small group and you're growing and you're changing, you know, it's important to keep reinforcing the vision. You know, what is the vision? Make sure that people understand it and that they're passionate about it. And when it changes, to, you know, change the messaging and make sure everybody really understands and, and um, you know, has that passion to what they're doing every day. Thank you very much, Patrick. Pleasure to get to know you and looking forward to a lot more from you and Ted during the show. And now let's turn to Dave Katona. Dave, where would we be without you? Every third week we do this show live, and here you are, and always happy to have you on. I call you a regular, a regular. You know what that means. Dave, Dave has sent us a quote from Lee Iacocca. Very interesting. The three people quoted, this is unusual, the three people quoted, the sources of these three quotes our panelists are bringing us today are all alive. That doesn't often happen. We get quotes from Yogi Berra and from uh, Albert Einstein and from Steve Jobs, rest in peace. But here we have Lee Iacocca, who was born in 1924. Last I heard, he's still around, a little older than Mr. Buffett. Lee Iacocca, full name Lido, L-I-D-O, Anthony Lee Iacocca, born October 15, 1924, is an American automobile executive best known for spearheading the development of the Ford Mustang. My first date with my my 
my who turned out to be my husband was in his 1967 Mustang dark cranberry color. He borrowed his sister's car to take me on a date in, in New York City, and I'll never forget that car. He also developed a Pinto while at the Ford Motor Company in the 1960s. Iacocca later revived the Chrysler Corporation as its CEO during the 1980s and served as president and CEO of Chrysler from 1978, chairman 1979, until he retired in 92. Here we go. Here is the quote. I hire people brighter than me, and then I get out of their way. Dave Katona, how are you? Fantastic, Bonnie. Great to be back. Glad to have you back. I don't think we could do the show without you anymore. Why is that, Dave? You're just here all the time. I just, I just love being here. I'm glad. <laughs> that, pregn- that pregnant pause, hoping and praying he would fill in with something wonderful. So, but I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, this quote really speaks to me, especially about this topic that we're going to be discussing today. And that, uh, um, certainly, in my career in and out of startups for a long time, I've just found that uh, um, you always want to look for uh, talent um, that actually is smarter and brighter than you, and give them the freedom and empower them. Um, to excel and don't hold them back from their full potential. And that's really what, you know, I, I believe, you know, Leah Iacocca was, was talking about, which is you want to really empower, you know, uh, the best in people and not uh, stifle them and over control um, and really, really get them to, you know, provide the best that they Thank you very much. So let's circle back to Ted West. And Ted, at Bow Labs, we'd love to get up close and personal with you just a little bit. Where are you calling from today? And what's in your cup or what would you rather be drinking that makes you smile? Because I'm looking at your picture and you are smiling. So what drink brought that on? (laughs) Ted West. (laughs) Yeah, I'm calling in from Tiburon, California, just across the bay from San Francisco. And Bonnie, I have... This morning on my desk in California, I have a cup of coffee. Pretty, pretty average Joe, just to start the day. It's no big deal, nothing special. But what I'm imagining right now is being on a bareboat charter sailboat, plying the warm Caribbean waters of the British Virgin Islands in a hot sun, and yearning for a classic green Heineken beer to quench my thirst. That's the way I like to go. Nothing uh-huh. like the Paradise Symphony of that sky and those waters and that classic green bottled brew. And how many times have I done that in a lifetime? Hundreds and maybe maybe a thousand. The good news, I'm back there in just a few days, so my imagination is going to come true soon. How lovely. How absolutely lovely. I think we have a poet here with us. Ted West, your, your, your prose is just absolutely lovely. I'm, I'm enjoying it. You had me sailing away somewhere. I said, oh, no, come back to real life. You're on the radio. Okay. Thank you, Ted. Be careful with all that fancy prose. You're going to woo me off the radio in a minute. I'm going to go, I don't know, book a flight somewhere. I'll, I'll join you on the ship. Thank you very much. Patrick, oh, you Juicy. made me bashful. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as we're having a good time. Patrick Juicy, where are you calling from? And what's in your cup, or what do you wish you were drinking? Yeah, so I'm actually right across the uh, right across the bridge from Ted. So I'm in San Francisco today, and what I'm drinking this morning is pure beet juice, which is kind of a kind of an odd one. But we're doing a health challenge at work, and so apparently beet juice is good for you. So I'm substituting my coffee for something a little more healthy today. Um, sure. 
Very interesting. I have a question. Is it red beet juice or is there such it a is. thing as yellow? You know why I'm asking. We have a wonderful restaurant that opened here about a year ago called Seasons 52. I think they're national. And they changed the menu to do seasonal vegetables and seasonal entrees every couple of months. So recently, I wasn't too keen on the broccolini that came with so, Ted, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, the broccolini that came with my caramelized sea scallops. And I asked what they could offer me. And they said, how about yellow beets? Well, they brought me uh, on the side of the scallops was a row of these beautiful yellow beets cut about a quarter inch thick that were steamed to perfection. And they were so sweet. Dare you put any salt or pepper on them? Absolutely not. They just spoke for themselves. So this is red beet juice you're drinking. Does it come in a bottle, Patrick? Yeah, it comes in a bottle. And apparently it helps lower your blood pressure, which is, uh, in my line of work, is always a good thing. Oh, my goodness. Now, can you, give, you can give us a brand. Do you have a favorite brand for your beet juice? We love brands. Um, yeah, there's, well, there's one called Forager, and it comes in little bottles, and they mix it with ginger, and it's, it's actually really not too bad. Very interesting. Yeah, Jamba Juice does one, too, and the Ferocious Vegan has one, the Forager Project. Juices, I think that's what it is, the Forager Project. Juices are cold-pressed, which means that, yes, very, very interesting. Awesome beet juice made with celery on and on, Forager Project. Thank you for that. Very interesting. That's a first for us, Patrick, and we always (laughs) like firsts on the drink side. So, Dave Katona, I appreciate that. Dave Katona, up to you. What are you drinking today? I'm actually drinking a very exotic Coke Zero right now um, <laughs> that I grabbed from the fridge just before the show. But what I wish I was drinking was actually I've been uh, a, a nice glass of Old Vine uh, Zinfandel. Uh, that's what I've been uh, drinking at home lately. So my wife and I uh, have been enjoying uh, a lot of lo- local. Uh, you know, I live in Northern California. Uh, and uh, we drink a, a lot of local wines, uh, typically from the Santa Cruz Mountains. Or uh, uh, since uh, Ted lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, he he can understand what I'm talking about. We're very very lucky to have such great local wine. So uh, we've been exploring some old, old vines ends lately. I think Dave, you we are. We got to get up to Dry Creek. Up to Dry Creek together. <laughs> That's what, we'll do that one day. You, you, you got it. You got it, brother. And Dave, it does it does say Old Vine Zin. I looked this up. Your guide to the Zinfandel lifestyle. Did you notice a Zin lifestyle, Dave Katona? Seriously? Uh, exactly. And uh, actually, a friend of mine um, actually, uh, had, we have a neighbor that actually has a uh, winery that uh, specializes in uh, wine experiences that you can actually go to his winery and you pay to actually... Uh, select your, uh, your grapes, crush, and bottle, age, and then you can actually name your own wine. And he has actually his own labels called Zin Zen. And he's actually oh. he's so much into Zinfandel. He's actually uh, created his own label um, that he actually charming. makes himself. And it's definitely a lifestyle. Very interesting. You know, there was somebody on Shark Tank, uh, the episode I watched last week, which I think was a new episode, but they tend to be six months to a year or two old by the time they get to TV. And this gentleman was offering a wine experience where you could pick a series of wines and make your own blend. And then they would blend it for you. It was an online experience. They would blend it for you and they would create a 
a label for the bottle with your name and your picture if you wanted it, and then they would ship you a case of it. It was not inexpensive. I don't think that the sharks went for it, but it sounds slightly similar to that. Thank you, Dave. That's uh, yes. very interesting, very interesting. Well, gentlemen, uh, Dave knows I don't drink anything interesting on radio show days, but as the old expression goes, need to keep my whistle wet, wetting my whistle, meaning I'm talking a lot, so i got to keep keep drinking, and it's just cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a orange straw today because the sun has disappeared here on Long Island, New York. I understand same in Boston, probably down to D.C. Maybe it's crying. I don't know. It's raining, and I would love to get the sunshine back, so my straw is the optimistic part of my drink. I'll drink a wonderful banana chocolate milkshake later with skim milk, and that will be my treat. So we are talking today, believe it or not, about critical HR for startups, hiring top talent on a shoestring budget. What does it take? You don't have a very strong recognition in the marketplace yet. You don't have a lot of money yet unless you're extremely well-funded. Maybe a shark gave you their bankroll. Who knows? But you have to hire people who will help you express, explore, and execute on your dream if you're the founder, if you're just the core team of a startup. How do you find them? How do you pick the best? Do you pick the best and get out of their way? Do you mold them? How do you create that culture? Which came first, strategy or culture? Oh, my. Lots of interesting questions on the table, IMHO, and we're going to explore them right after the break with Ted West at Bow Labs, B-O-H-H, Patrick Juste at Point Inside. Patrick, by the way, who was your colleague who was on the show a couple weeks ago? Yeah, Josh Marty, who's... Uh, Josh yeah. Marty. Yep. Yes, very happy to have M-A-R-T-I. I remember him well, and Dave Katona from the Startup Focus team at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action right now. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back in about 60 seconds. You can count them because we are going to. So I'll just say to our engineer, Aaron, out. In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like big data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line, if you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com With new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line, you need to define what's going to set you apart, and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. 
Here we are, and we're back and talking about critical HR. How does your startup hire? How do you hire well, and how do you hire right? Before we start our roundtable, I want to make sure we know a little bit about the companies that are on our show today. So why don't you give me a 60-second elevator, not a pitch, but who are you? What is Bow Labs? Ted West, you go first, please. Sure thing. But, uh, Bow Labs is in the cybersecurity field. We've developed a very powerful uh, package of technology that will be applied to securing uh, transactions across uh, banking and other financial services platforms. Uh, it's unique. Uh, we refer to our technology as security beyond encryption. And for those who know security technology, uh, that should uh, tickle your imagination a little bit. Uh, we're, we're still pretty stealthy. Uh, we're just launching here in the U.S., a marketplace on technology that's been built uh, both in the U.K. and the U.S. over the last couple of years. Thank you very in, uh, much. Oakland, yep. California. Where in California, did you say? Oakland. 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 For some reason, I heard you say Brooklyn. I said, wait a minute. No, that belongs here where I am. We don't, we don't have a Brooklyn out there. Thank you. We're not going to share that one with you. We might have shared the Dodgers, but we're not giving up Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, Patrick Juicy, tell us a little bit about Point Inside, please. Yeah, point, at Point Inside, we help retailers um, use location services to uh, drive revenue, increase efficiency. So if you look at um, retailers that have a map uh, in their mobile app, it can, they can tell you where products are in the store. It can help store associates service those, uh, those customers. That's what we do. We provide all the technology for that, and uh, it's just a growing market location services and all the analytics and data associated with that so every day is uh, new and exciting every day is a wonderful day and dave katona in case our listeners have forgotten what the startup focus program is why don't you give us that 60 second overview of what you do sure startup focus uh, literally is focused on startups we uh, provide uh, uh, the ability for uh, our partners uh, like uh, bow lab as well as uh, Point Inside, to uh, develop on uh, SAP's uh, platforms like HANA and uh, SAP's cloud platform. Uh, we uh, do development acceleration and actually help them with market enablement and go-to-market services. And all of this is uh, uh, no cost to them. And we literally look for innovators uh, in the market space to help our customers get exposed to new innovations that uh, help them drive their businesses uh, to more success faster. Thank you very much, Dave Katona. Now, let's start our roundtable in earnest. I'm looking at the notes my panelists sent me before the show. We're going to start with something very provocative from Ted West at Bow Labs. I will introduce the topic, and then Ted will talk for a couple minutes, and we will invite Patrick Juicy from Point Inside and Dave Katona from SAP Startup Focus to chime in with their POV point of view. So Ted West told me, he said, quote, I'm quoting Ted, I have always worked to build startup teams who aim to make a big difference not make a million bucks. Find people whose purpose and motivation closely fit your venture, your vision, and your impact. Why do they want to be here? Ted, provocative. I expected nothing less from you. Talk to us, please. Hey, thanks, Bonnie. Uh, yes, please hear me out. I know this is provocative, but I, I've always looked for talented people whose purpose and motivation uh, closely fit my venture, my vision, the impact 
that I'd like the startup to have. And, and it's really about passion. We were talking about this earlier and impact, not just about stock options that makes, that gets people to really deliver, really get focused and deliver on the challenges of getting a startup off the ground. That's what, that, in my experience, is what attracts the, the true top talent. Yes, stock options do matter. I don't mean to suggest that they're unimportant. Earning, investing in them is very important. But it's not particularly important if people don't believe in what they're doing and why they're doing it. So I've seen all too many startups um, whose really, uh, who's only real attraction to people was generous options. It's all they seem to talk about in many cases, and yet in, in, in many of those cases, those options came to be worth nothing. It, what matters is having a passion for the commitment needed to get stuff done. So I'd ask a founder of a, of a startup, why do the people you're hiring, uh, why, are they, why do they want to join you? What difference do they want to make in being part of your dream? Will they work 24-7 whenever needed? Uh, they will if they want to make a difference, in my experience. They will. Uh, step up to the toughest challenges. Uh, what will keep them going and keep them staying with a startup? Belief in the cause and their impact, not just the stock options. I, I kind of, you know, I, I kind of phrase it's conscientious capitalism. Do things mm. that make a difference, attract people who want to make a difference, give them the opportunity for reward, but make sure you've done the first thing first. Very interesting. Conscientious capitalism. That's interesting. Ted, before I bring in Patrick and Dave, I have a quick question for you. When you're trying to attract these people who are not looking for stock options in the big bucks right away, and yes, Ted, I will work around the clock. Yes, Ted, I'll give up my tennis games on weekends. And yes, Ted, I'll tell the family we can't take a vacation for the next three years or three months or whatever it is. Yes, I'll be there for you. Are we talking about a particular demographic that's most likely to be that person? Would it be, in other words, would it be, for example, a boomer who is starting another career or they're so excited they've already made their money, they're not worried about your stock options, they're looking for something to do and they believe in you? Or would it be a millennial who maybe is bankrolled by mom and dad or or put a little money aside or they're, they have a very simple lifestyle that doesn't need a lot of fuel to it? So wh- where would that demographic be? be most likely fulfilled for this aspect of hiring? That's a very interesting question. I don't think I can, I can answer it cleanly. And I, I say that because it's, it's the type of person with an orientation to making a difference in life, um, not really their demographic. I've, I've found these kinds of folks in the boomer generation, my generation. I've found it in the millennial generation. I've found it all over. But, but what's important is to, is to connect with people and attract people who want to understand what the mission of the company is and what the impact of the company is and can map themselves to contributing to that. that, that I look for that when I interact with people as, as, potential, as potential hires. I look for that dream to know why are you doing this? Why should I be doing this? How can I help? Thank well, you very much. Yep. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I was I was hoping you would say that, that it could be anywhere across the board. So now let's turn to Patrick Juicy at Point Inside. Patrick, agree or disagree with what Ted just shared with us? Yeah, um, a, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with the, the point of view that attracting, you know, people that are passionate about what, you, what a particular company is doing is really important. I think also, you know, especially in, in the kind of initial part of the interview process and the selection process, you know, the financial piece, it, it is important in the sense that if you're going to a smaller company or a startup, it, there's more, there's risk, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 
there's also, you know, the potential for, you know, great, great reward eventually. And so kind of weighing that tolerance and understanding what that tolerance is for, um, you know, potential candidates and potential employees from a financial point of view is really important because if they, if they feel like that risk is too high at some point, then you're not going to retain them, right? And so understanding what that kind of, you know, the financial model in the, in the um, <clears throat> prospects or prospective employees' head is, is, is really important. And, that, and on the other side of it, I totally agree with Ted that, that understanding what, they, what people care about, like what they want their narrative for their career to be, is really important. And if it's just all about money and it's only about money, then that's probably not a really good fit, right? <clears throat> so it has mm-hmm. to be... It has to be other things than money. You know, be, being being either building a great product, um, you know, whatever their 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 goals are for their life. Thank you very much, Dave Katona. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, and, and I'm also going to circle back to Patrick and ask if he thought about uh, the demographics of how to get these people. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, it it, it really comes down, and I I I heartily agree that it comes down to the fundamentals of, and I'll speak for myself personally because I am that type of person where I am driven by making a difference first, and I look for that. I've experienced that, and I think it's extremely important in looking for that in the person's character and DNA as a candidate. Um, And it's not just about the money. And... In finding, you know, those people that truly are passionate about the charter of whether it's the market opportunity, the company, the business, the solution, the problem to be solved, the industry, whatever those things are, um, those are the types of things that that I I I really look for in a hire. Um, because it, it's really that passion for what it is your company's trying to do and the problems you're trying to solve that are really going to drive them to be there. And I think Ted you know, mentioned this being there 24-7 because you are going to mm-hmm. have high demands in, uh, in a startup. It's, it's, you know, this, no startup is you know, asking people just to show up you know, 9 to 5, and you're going to have to you know, be working a lot harder uh, to get a lot further, and it's not just about the money because there's going to be ups and downs. So you really got to have that that passion and focus in, in as part of their DNA for what it is you're trying to achieve. Interesting, and, and that puts the burden on what we started. I started the title of the show is critical HR. We haven't really talked about who your HR person should be, and if you are the founder, I know Ted refers to founder over and over. Is the founder the HR person? Is the founder that critical linchpin to the success of the company? Because you don't have the money or the the time to bring in a whole HR department, whatever that might be. Ted, I'm going to circle back to you. Can you clarify for me when when we're when I'm talking in the title of the show, critical HR? Who is that HR person? Uh, it's the founder at the beginning, to be sure. The founder sets, as I've said, sets, sets the tone and the character, is the chief recruiter, uh, building the team out around the talent and around the, the behaviors that are going to be most successful. I think the founder is, it has to be um, the head of HR in the early stages. Now, that takes 
takes a skill set and, uh, and, a, and a perspective and experience as an organization starts to scale. And as the organization starts to scale, I think have a, having a professional in the HR uh, role is very important. But there, if it's possible, I like to see uh, companies that are scaling up hiring uh, other former founders into HR positions, people who've really understood how to grow an organization uh, successfully from the start and with the unique combination of talents it takes to be successful. But the founder can't do it all. The founder has to delegate. The founder has to focus on product, focus on go-to-market, focus on strategy, whatever it might be. Over time, somebody else needs to join in. Having experience in a founding role, in a founding setting, I think is a real plus. Thank you very much. Good, good around on the table on that one. I appreciate that. I'm going to turn to some notes here from Patrick Juicy. And Patrick, uh, as prosy as Mr. West was in the beginning, I think you've got a lovely piece of prose here. So give me a second to tell you what it is. Patrick says, framing the opportunity that your company and a specific job or role represent to prospective employees is one key to attracting great talent. And then he says, here's the prose, Patrick. You say, I often use the imagery of creating the narrative of a career. I'd love to know what that means, Patrick, because it sounds beautiful, and I've never had an employer say to me, Bonnie, sit down. Let me tell you about the narrative of your career if you sign on with us. So please tell us. This sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I think when people talk about their career, for example, they don't talk about it in necessarily, you know, metrics and, and numbers. They think about, and they talk and think about it as a narrative. So, for example, if you ask somebody, you know, how, tell me about this, you know, job on your resume. They'll, they'll launch into a narrative, right? And they'll tell you, well, mm-hmm. you know, I did this and I did that and, you know, this was the result. And so if, they, if you think about it in terms of, okay, so take that and kind of turn it around and say, what, what do you want the narrative to be for the next two years of your career, right? What do you want to do? Do you want to, you know, build a company um, you know, take it to to 100 million in revenue. You know, have you know, participate in an IPO or you know get the company sold or whatever. Um, you know, lead uh, a product group to launch a new product. Whatever those things are, and kind of creating that that narrative for the prospect and finding out what they really want to do with their career. What's their their really optimal narrative um, going forward? I think helps. You know, people create a vision of, you know, what it would be like to work in a kind of a really fast-paced, small, smaller company. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Dave Katona, love to get your thoughts on creating the narrative of a career as a way to hire the best. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really important to, 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 to lay it out there, and, and it's not just about, you know, the, the, the as-is. It's about the to-be and vision. And... It, it it really is about you know um, as you grow and I always look at um, uh, certainly uh, when you when, when you put in uh, you know what you need today versus where you want to go you got to look look towards that future and I always also like to look at um, sort of uh, and also throw in the it, it's not just what. what uh, the candidate knows it's also who they know and how can they help the company grow as you help them grow. And, uh, you know, the, I always like to say skills are important, but that drive and passion can go a long way. So it's really kind of, 
you know, where, 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 where do they want to go uh, along with the company as, as it grows? Because that's, it's going to be really important uh, as you scale. Thank you. Ted West, love to get your thoughts on this. I, I love the notion of narr- narrative of a career. And the way, I, the way it um, kind of links into our topic here for me is startups uh, require everyone, not just the founder, everyone has to wear a lot of hats typically. Mm-hmm. And so a startup is a great place for people to grow and diversify in their skill sets because they're going to be asked to do things that may not be um, you know, central to their experience to date. They're going to be asked to move into areas, you know, for example, maybe a full-stack engineer, a developer coming into a company might be asked to play a part as a sales engineer next to the founder out in front of some prospective clients. There's a lot of growth opportunity in that. And I think, I think, um, connecting with a, pro- a prospective hire, connecting with what their ambitions are to learn in this new role, to diversify and grow in their career, to build that narrative, I think is, is a great, it's a nice perspective in how to hire. You don't just want people who are classic full-stack engineers to do nothing but classic full-stack engineering work. There's an opportunity here to actually expand. And I think that's very motivating for a lot of folks. I'm going to bring up something to the panel that uh, it's not in anybody's notes. It's my experience. I just want to toss this out. I worked for a correspondent bank years ago. They no longer exist, but it was a correspondent bank, meaning they were created by the savings banks of New York State to do back office. We had a vault on Wall Street, and back office processing, you wouldn't walk in and say, I need a teller's check. You wouldn't walk in and say, what's my balance? We work for the banks, okay? And I was hired as part of the creation of a new business unit. I was hired as a systems liaison because I had years of COBOL and PL1 programming experience back in the day. Ted West might be old enough to remember those days of key punching and carrying around card decks. Dave Katona, not oh, sure. Pat, Patrick, no way, no way do you remember that. You were probably not even in the womb yet. You were a gleam in somebody's startup eye. But, um, the bank hired me and then they said, guess what, Bonnie? We're going to create a turnkey banking system and you're going to be our new hiring manager. We're going to call you the business operations manager. And I said, what is that? They said, well, you're going to write a business plan and we're going to run it, send it to the board and you're going to help. I said, I've never written a business plan for a division of a bank before. I didn't even know what it was. We'll teach you. So my, my boss who hired me, he and I wrote it together. It failed the first time. We tweaked it. It passed. Then he said, okay, you're the business operations manager. Go to a job fair and hire a team for us. I said, what? <laughs> Never done this. They said, go. There's a job fair in New York. Go to Manhattan. We'll give you a list of, of the, the, the roles we need to fill. You're going to hire the whole team. So I went, and one day I filled, I think, eight positions. I had no clue what I was doing. Brought all these people back, and they started. Then they said to me, we need a programmer. You know COBOL. We'll give you a dumb terminal. You could do all of our conversion programming. And then I became a programmer, and then they made me the marketing. This was a big bank. Then they made me the marketing department. So my question to all of you is, startup, are we defining it narrowly perhaps as a new business entity or could startup be something that happens inside of a company where a new unit is being created, where a spinoff of a function is being created and they need to start from scratch? And is that the same process? Ted, let me run that by you first. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, a great point, Bonnie, and I, I really appreciate your personal example. Entrepreneurship, often that word is used, entrepreneurship yes. inside, yes. outside. Yeah, I, I, we find a lot of startup, effective startup activity inside very large organizations. In fact, I'd argue that the best large organizations are the best at, at 
at creating successful startups from within, diversifying their businesses, chasing new opportunities and the like. And I would say as a generalization, it takes the same kinds of, of management and leadership, the same kinds of uh, variety in uh, professional work effort. You described your role in that situation as wearing very many hats over a period of time. Oh, uh, I yeah. Think, I, think, uh, I, I, I think that uh, we, we see that in, in lots of organizations of all sizes. Startups, uh, startups happen from within. Startups happen on their own. For sure. Thank you. Thank you. I was just thinking about it while we were talking that it can be within and I wasn't an entrepreneur by choice. I was basically drafted to go along as this ship was chugging down the pike. It was, it was a very interesting experience. I have to tell you that. Uh, Patrick, I'd love to get your thoughts on internal startups. Any thoughts uh, you want to share, add or subtract from what Ted just said? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story, Bonnie. Um, and, and yeah, I think there there are certainly characteristics of both that are similar. I think there there's some big differences too. Um, have, you know, having a, a that startup in mentality um, and maybe launching a new business unit within an existing big company has you know challenges, but they're a little bit different. For example, if you have an established company with established procedures, it always feels like you're kind of fighting to change. The, the procedures of a big company to say, hey, yes. you know, we don't have to do it this way. We're smaller. We're, we need to be more mm-hmm. nimble. Um, <clears throat> you know, we don't need to go through 20 steps to hire one person. We need someone tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> where in a, in, a, in a true startup, you know, you're kind of making the rules as, uh, you, know, as you proceed and, and kind of deciding. But I think the mentality is the same in the sense that you, know, you have to be creative. You have to be bold. <clears throat> one day you may be you know, programming, the next day you may be creating some material for the website, the next day you may be selling, right? So having that versatility and having people that are willing to, you know, wear different hats, um, you know, at a moment's notice is, I think it's important in both of those. Thank you very much. Dave Katona, what do you think? Well, having worked in uh, in multiple startups and worked in uh, what I would call, you know, Startups within large companies. I, I, mm-hmm. I can give you a, a very clear perspective. I actually consider Startup Focus a startup within SAP, for example. We're mm. a very lean team, only 14 people of us globally uh, working with startups. So we, we, we run ourselves as we are, uh, as if we, we were a startup within SAP. And uh, uh, the, there are challenges. Um, uh, and, and some of them are, are, are very clear and some of them not so clear, but a, a lot of it comes down to uh, having a, a, a small team culture, highly collaborative environment uh, within that team and really working in, around in what I call navigating the big company matrix. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. you do feel like Keanu Reeves in the matrix trying to, to navigate around the business processes to get in the way of uh, the agility on the small team. So uh, there are, uh, you know, the the point that was made earlier is there there are some different challenges than when you're in a startup, um, per se, uh, you know, being in in what I call a more agile, innovative organization. Uh, But uh, it it definitely, uh, um, it's fun, but uh, there are Mm -hmm. definitely some some different challenges. Definitely. And Dave Katona, while I have you, I want to pick up one topic here. We have just about three minutes before we go to our predictions. Um, 
we kind of are predicting, the whole topic is predicting how a startup should hire for their future success. But Dave, I want to pick up one thing, talk about cultural alignment. You say in a startup, cultural alignment is critical. It is a small team. Okay. So a culture, strategy, which came first? I know Patrick Giusti has a, a thought on that as well. But Dave, cultural alignment, if you're a, a small startup, if you're just three or four people, who decides that culture? Is it whether the the founder, the, the term Ted used, Ted West has used many times, is it what time of the day the founder feels like showing up or whether they feel like wearing khakis or sweats or whether they wear a suit to work or whether they they like to take off on Fridays? Who? How is the culture determined if it's that new? Isn't it in evolution that might be changed as you bring more people on board as the culture moves and shifts with the personalities that come in? Uh, let's go around the table on this. Dave, what do you think yeah absolutely i mean there there are things where you know it it can in fact you know start at the top with with the founders and ceo um and it gets down to uh in some cases literally uh you know a ceo uh i always look at uh, uh you know founders and ceos that i i talk to all the time at startups and uh, some of the startups that I, I've worked at, you know, what is the vision? Um, you know, what are, you know, do they have a clear vision of what it is they're, they're trying to achieve? And uh, in some cases, that, that may drive the culture out of the gate. In, in other cases, to your point, it does evolve. And, um, in, you know, sometimes it, it may be democratic. In other cases, you do want it driven from the top. Um, because uh, I, I've I've worked uh, at and with startups where you look at the culture, and I distinctly remember walking in to a startup. Actually, it was only last year where I walked in, and it was a really cool environment, uh, scaling startup. But yeah, I mean, the you know the CEO and founder was riding around, and they're cool warehouse lofty environment on a skateboard in the you know in the middle of the day right before our meeting really cool cool culture but probably not my culture right and mm-hmm. for them it, it worked but uh um that was the culture that he set uh and that's what he drove uh but it's it, it definitely evolves but it gets down to as you hire you've got to take a look at are they going to fit into the culture because as you scale, you have people that are going to be working 12 hours a day together. And, you know, it's a very important thing. And I've really learned um, that cultural alignment is really key uh, because you've got people going to be working very long hours together, going to be growing together, and you really need a, a close-knit team. Mm-hmm. And things will evolve, but cultural alignment, I think, is really critical. Made me think of the movie The Intern. Remember, Robert De Niro yeah, yeah. was a retiree, yeah. and uh, who was it? Anne Hathaway was the the founder, and didn't she skateboard or bike or trike or or uh, one of those uh, uh, things? You know, a scooter around the office, and De Niro came with a suit and a briefcase, and he tried to tell some of the young millennials that they needed to dress a little better. So he was there was a massive warehouse. Anyway, we're ready for our predictions. We're almost late, so I'm going to give you each sixty seconds. Ted West, I hope we meet again. I've certainly enjoyed meeting you. And same thing for 
Patrick Juicy, Juicy and, and of course, Dave, anytime. Uh, if we meet again, let's talk about 2020. What will be different if we had this conversation about the critical things for hiring in a startup that is low on recognition, low on budget? How do you put together that A team that's really going to move you? So, Ted, any vision for 2020? 60 seconds, predict for me. Please you know, go. Bonnie, I don't know that much is going to change in the next three or so years. I think building great and talented teams in startups um, has always required the same hiring discipline, the same cultural norms and practices that we've talked about here, striking a balance, which I'm referring to as conscientious capitalism, um, maintaining a, 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 you know, a, a effective balance in, 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 seeking consent in a team and establishing focus and execution. I think all of that's going to be very much the same, um, you know, a few years from now as it is now. What I, what I think we will see to the crystal ball changing is that a greater proportion of great jobs attracting the best talent to opportunities in startups, um, a greater proportion of those jobs are going to originate in the startups, and I think that's a very, very good thing. Okay, I will, I will throw a monkey wrench in that. I know we don't have time to explore, but what if you're hiring a robot? What if you're hiring a chatbot, an AI bot that will run your customer service? What if you're hiring a robot to move things around the factory floor? That is a whole other conversation, Dave Katona. I think think things will change. Yes, things will change. Things will change with that kind of culture culture impact. Uh, Patrick Juicy, love to get your thoughts on what will change by 2020. Let's say if the robot is part of the workforce, what will change, Patrick? There's a ringer for you. Well, first, yeah. first, I, I want to. I, I like the image of Dave Katona riding around SAP on a skateboard. So I definitely <laughs> want to see that. <laughs> um, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll go ahead. That may happen by 2020. But um, yeah. The you know I think I think that you know the principles that we talked about still apply. I think the major the major factor that may change is you know how startups are funded and when they are funded and what the what the bar is, I think that will have the biggest impact on on how fast um, and how far you know early stage startups can go, and and what the gate is and, and what the bar is in, in terms of getting funded. And I think that will have the biggest kind of impact on um, on uh, how how we hire and and you know how many people we hire. Thank you very much, Dave Katona. You get the last word. And I can give you thirty seconds. That's it. Okay. Well, I, I, I think one of the things that I, I, I've seen is a trend that Ernst & Young had just announced in the UK, where they are no longer taking a look at uh, college grades as part uh, and academics as part of their entrance criteria into Ernst & Young in the UK. I really think that uh, experience and skills uh, bound to college education is going to start to change. They're going to be looking at skills and agility more and more uh, for new hires. Um, and uh, you're going to start to see a change in the workforce in that way. Um, I, I, I've seen trends start, start, to, start to happen where we used to look at Ivy League college graduates, and I'm mm-hmm. starting to see a trend um, certainly in, uh, in Europe where they're starting to take notice that it's not necessarily academic academics it's more that they there are many studies that say academics are not necessarily what drives success in the careers so thank you dave thank you more experience 
very, and tell Christina that's a whole other topic. I want us to do a shout-out to Christina Sosa and Manju Banzal at the SAP Startup Focus Program. Dave Katona, always a pleasure. Ted West at Bow Labs, really, really happy to meet you. Patrick Juicy at Point Inside, give my regards to Josh Marty, and happy to meet you as well. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout-out to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel team. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Ted. Be like Patrick. Be like Dave. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. See you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, Business Channel on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.